You there? I'd like to talk to diabetes. Please hold. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Yep, we make grown men cry. We are Pie Factory Podcast, episode 33, or is it 34? Uh, 33. 33, I guess, sure. Yes. Yeah. And um, so... uh, uh, from Pie Factory headquarters north in uh, the city of the Wild Onion. Look that up if you don't know. Uh, this is, um, I'm going to call myself Tilted Mike. Tilted Mike, even though my name is Sean. Tilted Mike. And I guess from the town that's named after someone named Morris, uh, this is uh, Jimmy G. Uh, fun fact, uh, Grundy County, Illinois... And Grundy County, Missouri, are both named after the same person. Oh, really? And I bring that up because Morris is the county seat of Grundy County. That is true. I never knew that until about a year ago. Here's the thing, though. The Pie Factory Logistics Center, my recording studio is on the second floor of the Logistics Center, and uh, we don't have any air conditioning in the Logistics Center. And I'm sweating like a pig right now. In fact, when in writing up notes for today's show, and yes, these were all first-hand research, by the way, I'm like sweating on the paper, and it's just like, ugh, I feel nasty. So I have to, ugh. yes, I'm not nude, but I might, I could be nude. No, you couldn't. I could be. No, you couldn't. I'm uh, talking into my beer bottle right now. Well, see, I have a solution that I poured my beer into a um, mason jar, so I don't have to talk to a beer bottle. A Jackie Mason jar? Um, actually, I'm not drinking beer. It's actually not your father's ginger ale. I'm drinking not your father's root beer. I had that for the first time a week or so ago. That's good stuff. Isn't it? And the ginger ale is really good. And I've, they've got a, another uh, beverage, too. Not your father's, like, vanilla uh, cream soda or something like that. Which, that's next on my must-try list. And the thing is, is that there's alcohol in these, but you don't really taste it too much. That's the thing. I mean, you know yeah. it's there. You taste it. It's not, like, overpowering, like you're drinking a shot of tequila or something. So, but, uh, so you could easily get wasted on these. You'd have to drink quite a few of them, but the way these things taste, it's real easy to drink quite a few of these. These are really good beverages. And they're oh, beer, yeah. too. They're not, uh, they're yep. not a malt liquor. Nope. Which is really good. So I'm, I'm tired of seeing... It, I mean, way back when, you know, there was Bartles and James, and they had the wine coolers, which was wine with fruit juice or whatever, and then you buy, like, 10, 15 years later, they're still on the market. I don't know if they are now, but... Uh, but when they, but later on, they're like flavored malt liquor, and I'm like, I don't want that. You can't find wine coolers on the market anymore, can you? Oh yeah, there's, they're oh, definitely still out there. It's just not the '80s anymore. It isn't. No, we've all moved on to the world, except for video games, of course. But you know what? Uh, before we go on any further, there's something you know I gotta get out because everybody's been talking about this. So hmm. this is still fresh at the time we're recording. It's probably not going to be so fresh by the time it's out, but, uh, our hearts go out to Orlando. You know, we hope everything you know gets better for everybody. Is it religion? I don't know. Is it gun control? I, I don't know. I don't have that answer, but I do want to propose one thing that I haven't heard anybody mention yet. Mm. It's been said, it's been found out that the gunman, actually was gay and had gone to that nightclub before as a customer and has even had, uh, I believe a gay profile or two on a, on a couple of dating sites. So it's not necessarily a homophobic thing. I want to argue that it was mental health. 
mental health. Especially given that his ex-girlfriend came out and said, yeah, you know what, there's something strange about that guy. His father said, you know what, there's something strange about that guy. What was done to prevent this? I don't know. I don't know. But I'd like to think that maybe nothing, nothing, possibly because of the stigma this country tends to have on mental health issues. I, here's what I'm going to say on the situation. Good friend of mine, uh, guy's name is Will Coley. He uh, calls himself Redneck Muslim. He's uh, a native of Tennessee. He's a Muslim. He was born in Tennessee. He's a Muslim, and he's a libertarian. In fact, uh, he ran uh, unsuccessfully, unfortunately, for the vice presidential slot on the Libertarian Party ticket. Uh, So remember this little bit of history. The first Muslim to run for an executive office in this country was on the Libertarian Party. But anyway, he met his wife down in Orlando. And uh, he's been to the club a few times. I couldn't tell you why. You know, I'm not going to say one way, he, one thing or another. Just because you go to a gay bar doesn't mean you're gay. Uh, it doesn't, you know, you could be going there with friends or whatever. No, so. I'll tell you why he went there. He went there to have a good time. That's all there is to it. That, that might be it. But he brought up an interesting point, is that the people that are condemning Muslims for this and Islam for this, I don't remember his exact wording, but he's like, if you're going to condemn them, then you better give praise to the Muslim doctor's that are in the hospitals in Orlando yep. that are treating those same people. And he goes on to say that I personally know quite a few of the doctors and I've broken bread with many of the families and they're good people and, and they're helping the victims of the uh, incident without regard to religion, race, or sexual orientation. So before you blame anybody, just remember the people. You know what? Soapbox time. Stop looking for somebody to blame and start looking for someone to praise. That's just all I'm going to say on that. That is a very good thought. But yeah, we hope, we hope things get, you know, somehow things get, I, I don't know how they could get better, but it, I just it, it just occurs do, to me, you know, um, I was just listening to a podcast. Uh, it was a, about Friday the 13th, but they took a side detour and they were talking about the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. The very end of the movie, the protagonist finally realizes that the only way to defeat Freddy was to take back every bit of power that she gave him. She just turned her back on Freddy and he ceased to exist. Maybe that's what we need to start doing with with all of the terrorists in this world. I don't know. But uh, stop giving them power by enabling them. Oh, if only if only if we only had a different uh, mass media in this country. <laughs> but uh, anyway. But that's um, our little soapbox. We promise we won't do it again. Today. For <laughs> today well that's our political soapbox for today we we're not saying we won't get on a video gaming soapbox i want to argue it wasn't really all that political the only thing political of it was the mention of a political party as far as i'm concerned i mean this is something we can all agree on i'm sure but anyway you know what uh let's enjoy ourselves now because i can't guarantee that our listeners are going to enjoy us you know and before I forget, I have been forgetting for the longest time. I owe an apology to somebody whose name I don't know. Oh? At uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, uh, I think I was running back to the table from the uh, from the vintage computer museum. What, what was that museum called where uh, Tempest was set up and all that big space out there? The vintage computer? No. I, I, I don't know. Oh, and of course, the, the papers from Midwest Gaming Classic are just two feet to my left out of reach. I would have to take my headphones off to grab it to find out the answer to that. Hopefully there was some kind of magical device where we could figure out what was... uh... Or I could just take my headphones off. 
That's not them. They were here the other day. Where'd they go? When I was kind of like jogging back to the table, there was someone who stopped me. He's like, oh, Pie Factory podcast. I listened to that. And, I was, and so I talked with him for a couple of minutes, and I think I was very, very awkward. And I didn't even get the guy's name. I don't even remember if I thanked him for listening. But if you're listening, thank you for listening. Was I at the t- I want to think I was at the table for that, too. You were at the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I, the thing is, like, I don't have good social skills. I really don't. <laughs> if we had good social skills, would we be podcasting? We probably wouldn't be. We'd probably be out go. socializing or something. I don't know. In fact, that when I met Walter Day, I actually what I said to him was, "Look, I have terrible social skills. I don't know how to introduce myself without being awkward. So I just want to say hi." So <laughs> that's what I said to him. Well, there you go. That works. But uh, yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening, uh, mystery person. I'm sorry I didn't get your name. Um, but I do appreciate you. I appreciate everybody who's lis- who's listening to this, be it forcefully or voluntarily. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's what I had to say about that. Um, uh, do we have time to... for arcade memories? Uh, sure, why not? And I might figure we might as well go into this because uh, I was talking about Midwest Gaming Classic. Well, we got uh, something actually from a Midwest Gaming Classic attendee um, is our friend uh, George Spanos. And he has an interesting history because he he was basically born into the world of family entertainment centers, or FECs, as we like to call them. So he has an interesting perspective on how he got into arcade gaming and all that. So I'd kind of like to uh, share that with our listeners in 471. I was a route technician at Namco Entertainment. Not to be confused with Namco America. They're two ah. totally different things. Namco Entertainment specializes in... Uh, they have a large game route. They're mostly in Walmarts and AMC theaters. Okay. okay. So uh, most of the time I was like kneeling down in like pop and movie theaters, pop and like candy or popcorn or something like that. It was, it was nasty. Oh, I've never had those before. Yeah. When you, when you pull the game out, that's when you see all the all the nasty stuff. Because they don't. They don't pull it out. But yeah, I did that for about six months. And the reason that I left is because I picked up a full-time job as a game technician in another place, which will remain nameless. I worked there for three days. And on the third day, the man tells me that we can't afford you, so we're going to let you go. And meanwhile, back over at Namco... The district manager that hired me left Ah. our area. Oh boy. And the new guy basically didn't see the need for a route technician. He figured that the route manager should do what I did. So that's what happened. Can you talk about your feck? Yes, my feck. Um, yeah, what the feck is it all about? What the feck is it all about? Uh, Let me go to the beginning. Okay. I'm talking like back in the 1920s. Okay. It started out as my great-grandpa operated an outdoor fruit market. It was the most lucrative, crazy thing ever. Lucrative and ludicrous. It was pretty ludicrous. They uh, they, they sold Christmas trees, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he, he had the whole racket like figured out. But then in the 60s, my great-grandpa, he got, he got sick, and that's when my grandpa took over. And he had much larger aspirations for what to do with it. So he turned the simple little outdoor fruit market into a full-service grocery store. There you go. What he did at that point in time was they initially did not own all the land there. They ultimately wound up owning 27 acres. Yeah, that's where I used to work. 27 acres. It's a large plot of land. 
But he started buying up like pieces and pieces of like properties and he eventually amassed enough to open up a golf driving range. That was where it started. It started with the driving range. And then he bought more plots of land and then it became miniature golf. And then he went the opposite way and he started buying more land. And then they had batting cages. And then they got more land. And I think it was about 1979 they added go-karts. So I sprung on the scene back in 1982. November 1982. So by that point, video games were like all the rage. Yep. At that point in time, he was operating video games inside the grocery store. He had like this little hallway dungeon looking thing with like exposed concrete walls and stuff. He had probably about like 12 or 15 games in there, I think. I'm really scraping into the waybacks here. And, and we didn't take any pictures of anything. Oh. Yeah, very depressing, right? But by about, I'd say like 1985, you know, when, when I started to become a little self-aware, over by the checkout counters, they had the cockpit Vector Star Wars. Oh, nice. And the cockpit Sinistar. Oh. My first experience with Sinistar was the cockpit. The cockpit. And I'm, a, I'm just like a little kid. I'm like two, three years old. You know, I just like sit in this thing and I'm playing it. And, you know, Sinistar was pretty scary, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I, I was always drawn drawn to like come back and play it more. Even though I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to blow up Sinistar or anything. I just keep getting eaten. Over by that checkout area, that was also the first time I saw Space Invaders. But that was only like a little sliver of the games that they had. They Next door to the go-kart garage was a separate garage that had, I don't know, I'm going to guesstimate probably like somewhere between 60 and 80 games. Maybe more, I don't, I don't remember. But that was where I spent a lot of my time. And they had a, a ticket window back there, that's where they sold the go-kart tickets. Yeah. So you come in, you play your video games, they would, they would open up the garage door, you could just like walk in through the garage and uh, play your games and you buy a go-kart ticket, you know? So that was when I started playing like Donkey Kong and uh, Zookeeper. Does anyone know Jack the Giant Killer? I have heard of it. I've never played, I played Jack, it. Jack the Giant Killer. They but it was, uh, that was a company that I believe they were making special video games or, um, I think it was Cinematronics. Was it? Cinematronics? You're right, it was Cinematronics. I think it was Cinematronics. Yes, you're right. And uh, Centipede. Now, by about 1986, they kind of felt that like the grocery store thing kind of like ran its course. Okay. And they decided to move into like the next big business venture of the 1980s. They turned the grocery store into a pool hall arcade hmm. with ski ball. Yes. With ski ball. They had ski ball, they had uh, I, I used to go to the prize cases and just like steal stuff out of them all the time because I was go. I was a little spoiled brat. I was <laughs> entitled, I you know. Before they turned it into the pool hall arcade, this was a story that I told Jeff Lee, who is the creator of Qbert. They had a very large video game auction where they where they used to have like the the meat cases and stuff like that. It was yeah. a big big giant room. They had a video game auction in there, and uh, my great uncle Pat would come to my house and he would come and get me and he would bring me into this room full of hundreds of video games. And basically what I would do is, here's me, three years old, I'm walking around plugging video games in and flipping coin switches to play them by myself. But there was one game that like really stuck out to me. 
and I and I saw like the side art on it, and I looked at it, and it, it looked just like a cartoon, which was very appealing to me at that age. Of course. Okay. And that game just so happened to be Cubert. Aha. Uh-huh. Because you have to figure, a lot of video games back then, you know, they were like that basic, like, stencil, you know, where they, like, painted the stencil art on yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Well, now, now here's this Q-Bird that's got, like, the silkscreen side art, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, that looks awesome. Now, here was the kicker. I go to plug this game in, and the plug doesn't fit in the wall. Right? I couldn't understand what was going on here. So I showed it to Uncle Pat, and I go, it won't work. And he looks at it and he goes, huh, you can play this game tomorrow. So I'm like, okay. So I go home. I probably stayed up all night, which I still do to this day, right? And he brings me back the next day, and this time I'm able to plug it in. So what was the problem there? Well, we only had two prong outlets still back then. Oh. They didn't have the ground pins. So like the ground pin, you know, it's not gonna plug into the wall, you know? I can't remember if he cut the cord and put a new end on or if he just busted the ground pin off. I can't remember. So if he used an adapter or something. Yeah, whatever, you know? But I played it and I was like really captivated by this game. And after the auction was over, that was one of the games that my grandpa bought. And he didn't have it for very long, so I didn't get to play it very much. Right. But years later, I got it on uh, NES. And I was actually pretty good at it on there for some reason. Now, if I go to play Cubert, I'm horrible at it. But whatever. But uh, this pool hall arcade thing went off, and it went on to be uh, the, the biggest, most profitable year they ever had in business. That was 1987. Right. You know, that was the the thing for a little while. They wound up leasing out the pool hall, and back in 1995. It was like a country dance bar thing that like moved in there and then uh, a couple of years after that in 97 they leased the rest of the the outside operation out to uh, the people that own Haunted Trails. Okay. You know Haunted Trails and oh, Channing yeah. Castle? Oh yeah. Okay. Little little side note about the owner of uh, Haunted Trails. He was, uh, back then they had what was called a game guy. Okay. And the game guy, he, he basically bought the game and he operated it in your location. And you, like, split the profits, like, 50-50. Until, of course, you made enough money on it, and then you bought it out. Sure. Okay. For 10 years after that, they were retired, they were living large, you know, and well, all of a sudden, the Haunted Trails people pulled out. And they're like, wow, those rent checks aren't coming in anymore. Yeah. So guess what happens? George, fresh out of college, winds up getting employed there. Ah. Along with his girlfriend. They moved down to just be with him. So that's how we wound up running it. That's how we wound up running Creek Family Fun Center. Which was a, it was a seven day a week affair, probably about 12 hours a day. Who, who knows the untold amounts of abuse that I put on my body during those like five and a half years. Yeah, we've been hanging on to that for a while because it was just too good. We didn't want to share yeah, it. Yeah, and it was interesting because George is one of two people who specifically said, I want to be on your show. Before ever actually hearing it. So it's like, are you sure you want to be on this show? (laughs) However, one thing I do have to give him credit for is he actually had heard our show since and still said, you know what? I want to be part of it. So basically, 
Oh. I opened up the microphone and he talked for 45 minutes. I was actually getting, <laughs> I have to be honest, I was getting a little uncomfortable because we were actually scheduled to go down to be a guest on another podcast uh, for just a moment. The Guys, um, games, and beer. Got, guys, games, Speaking and beer, yes. Which, and, I got uh, something I have to say about that podcast. Oh? They have a disclaimer at the beginning of their podcast saying something about how uh, the content of this podcast is entirely inappropriate or something. And they go on and say mm-hmm. something like possibly even stupid. And I got to say, it really, listen to Guys, Games, and Beer. They're actually pretty freaking intelligent there. Uh, I've got to listen to a few more episodes. Uh, I haven't not haven't listened to too many yet. Um, I'm, going through, I'm going through so much crap with my phone. Um, the couple episodes I've heard, they are, uh, it's a good show. And who, come on, you can't go wrong with a podcast that has a character named Drunken Larry. Exactly, exactly. And, and when I say character, I'm not talking cartoon character or character in a video game. He is literally a walking character. <laughs> <laughs> He's an awesome guy. He I like him. He really is. And, uh, but yeah, going, going back to George, uh, one thing else that I have to mention about George is that he and his bosses are trying to get a classic arcade off the ground, kind of spinning off of the uh, FEC where they're working right now. And uh, they're they're having all kinds of uh, just internal things right now where they're just trying to work everything out, but hopefully it won't be uh, too long. It's going to be in uh, Niles, I believe. Niles, up by the Leaning Tower of Niles. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's not too far from there. It'll be it'll be on uh, Milwaukee Avenue. In fact, I drove past uh, the the name of the Family Entertainment Center is. Uh, Kitty Kingdom, not to be confused with, of course, Dispenses. Dispenses Kitty Kingdom. Yep. R.I.P. That was a fun place. I went there like a couple of times when I was a kid. Never been there. It was right next door to Dispenses Castle of Toys, Oak Brook Terrace, Illinois. I've been past it. I've never been in there, actually. What's there now? Yeah, they is... tore that down. They tore that down like 20-some years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. What's, sta- what's in its Sad. place now is the tallest building in Illinois that is not in Chicago. Yeah, it is, isn't but it? But it's just a plain old boring office building, but... Uh, that and uh, speaking of uh, classic arcades that are about to happen, just uh, reminding the listeners that, uh, hey, Pixel Blast in Villa Park is just about ready to open. I'm excited about that. July 1st, which is a Friday. What time do they open oh, you know, on I'm Friday? I'm sorry, it's not Villa Park. It's uh, Lyle, uh, 1045 Lyle. Burlington yeah, Where did you get Villa Park for? Villa oh. Park was Video Game Expo, where we will also be on, uh, was it July 16th? Game, isn't it? technically called video game summit video game summit that's right yeah i'm sorry yes. they're not playing video games in summit uh summit illinois but it's actually a summit like a meeting of the minds although me and sean will be there so your mileage may vary on that last bit but yes video game summit in villa park at the odeon and funny enough um one of my friends in the <clears throat> illinois libertarian party actually lives a stone's throw from uh, from the odeon in uh, in villa oh. park and uh, they're gonna they're gonna possibly show up and um, oh, this guy, he, he, this this guy, uh, his, his name is Brian. He's um, he's like a so much younger version of me. It's scary. I mean, we literally have so much in common. I'm just like, holy crap! <laughs> it's, but um, but he's a great guy, and hopefully he'll be out there. So. Uh, I went to their Facebook page, Pixel Blast Facebook page, and it says uh, the grand opening event. It says July 1st through f- July 4th, July 1st at 3 p.m. till July 4th at, four- at 8 p.m. So I guess they open ah, pretty small early. Weekend. All I know is, so hey, can... I'm working from home on July 1st just so I can get out there as soon as I can. So Yeah, uh, I'm not going to be able to take 
time off of work, but uh, I'll be up there as soon as possible. Seeing as I work in Bolingbrook, which is really the next town south of Lyle, yeah, I could be up there in no time after I get off of work. You know, I'm coming from the city, and after work on a 4th of July weekend, I can't imagine it's going to be a pleasant ride. I might not make it there. It might be, they might already mm. close down for business for good by the time I get there. Anyway, uh, wow, we've, it's, uh, huh, I think it's time that we should discuss some addenda errata. So, uh, what up, G? Do you have any addenda and errata? No, I actually don't have any addenda or errata, but um, do you have any addenda or errata? Have, because we do have some comments. I, comments, too. We have comments, too, but uh, I have an addendum, and I, I'm surprised neither one of us mentioned this, but going back to uh, the previous episode, we were talking about Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this, but the Roadrunner cabinet... Uh, which is a, an Atari System 1 cabinet, mm-hmm. you can turn it into a quote-unquote vend-a-ticket game. Oh, really? So let's say that you work at a Redemption Arcade. You can set that up to dispense tickets. So the, the System 1 were games like uh, were like Roadrunner and uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and uh, Road Blasters, and uh, there, there's there's several others I can't think of. I think, was Marble Madness one? It might have I been, but I think know. Marble Madness had its own cabinet, though. But uh, the thing with that, though, it'd be kind of cool. You're playing Road Blasters, and after so many cars, you get tickets. <laughs> blow up a car, get a ticket. How awesome would that be? Kind of like in real life. You blow up a car, you're probably going to get a ticket for it. Exactly. I mean, life imitates art, or art imitates life, or vice versa. I remember in the 80s, I don't remember if it was Showbiz Pizza Place. You know, it might have been Bally's Aladdin's Castle, because they were starting to bring in redemption things. I know that I played a game or two at Aladdin's Castle in which, like, just out of nowhere, the game would just freeze and the screen would kind of wobble in kind of a kind of a wavy motion for a moment and then resume. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was trying to dispense tickets. Somebody had hacked the machine to dispense oh, no tickets. Way. So, yeah. It's, it, oh, that's awesome. And I'm pretty sure it was like Ms. Pac-Man or something because when uh, Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall was still around, I didn't really venture away from big core classics mm-hmm. man i i still think about that arcade every now and then that was such a huge freaking arcade the aladdin's castle at uh, lincoln mall oh yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it was the biggest arcade in the chicago area i'm sure it man was. that place was that place was so friggin awesome and i remember the first time i ever went there i said before they used to have bumper cars but when they took the bumper cars out they used that room for all cocktail machines yeah, a, rem- a huge room with cocktail machines as far as the eye can see. It was a sight to behold. I don't remember the bumper cars, but everybody else does. I remember the cocktail machines, but I remember the first time I went there, it was still called Le Bon Speedway. I don't know if you remember this, but that room was actually oval-shaped like a bumper car. I, oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was my first memory. I never got to ride them, but uh, yeah, that was that was such an awesome place. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, you know, there's also something else. I know we're kind of going back and forth. We're supposed to be doing addenda and errata. Well, I already talked about my addendum. Do you have anything to addend or errate? Nope. But as I said, we got some listener comments, feedback, what have you. Should we have a separate uh, separate theme for listener feedback, comments? Or just fold that into addenda and errata? Well, we'll see, because we have to get Scattered Frog to record the jingle if we do something like that. That's true. So, um, that is we'll true. see what happens there. But uh, one thing that has been on my show prep for months that I haven't mentioned is 
almost invariably when we record our show, we mention one or two of uh, the arcades that we've both been to around here, uh, Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade. Mm-hmm. And on more than one occasion, people have asked me, if I'm coming to Chicago, if I'm coming to the Chicago area and I only have time to go to one arcade, which one would you recommend? Well, I can't really answer that because it depends on your different situations. It depends on what you prefer. It also depends a lot on where are you going to be in the Chicago area. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's Chicago isn't like, say, um, I don't know, Denver or uh, Las Vegas or uh, Seattle. I mean, Chicago is huge. The Chicago suburban area is 60 miles from end to end. And um, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's, not, that's no small change. And you'll be lucky if you can drive that in an hour, given Chicago's famous traffic. A lot of which arcade should you go to depends on where you're located and how much time you have. Those are real, honestly, those are your first two concerns because yeah. Chicago is, is a bit of a pain in the ass to get around. Yeah, case in point, uh, John Bodovkar Schaller, who is uh, one of the co-hosts of the Amigos podcast, I was a uh, guest on their show once. And right afterwards, he said, before you go, I got to ask you, I'm going to be in Chicago. Uh, I'm a band teacher. We're having a band competition in Chicago. You know, I, where should I go? Under, underground Retrocade, Galloping Ghost. And I said, well, where are you staying? And it turned out he was staying uh, on the south side somewhere, I think in Bronzeville or something. And mm-hmm. right away, I'm like, okay, yeah, you got to go to the ghost. Because all you got to do yep. is get on 55, boom, you're there. Otherwise, if you go to the, if you go to the Retrocade, you have to take the Dan Ryan Expressway which mm-hmm. is never a good thing. And uh, Interstate and then the 90. Jane Addams Tollway. Yeah. And then you got to weave through uh, weave through the all of the, well, you have to weave through all the side streets anyway. But uh, Well, down that area, it's pretty close to the Dan Ryan. But still, the fact is, still, I'm 41 yeah. years old. And in my whole entire life, I don't know that there was a day that existed that there wasn't some heavy construction going on in either Rosemont or Schaumburg or both. And it just mm-hmm. so happened at the time that I was talking to, uh, to boat a car, it was right around the time that there was some big construction project that was just starting up on 90. So I was like, yeah, you're never going to make it. Just go, go to galloping ghost this time. Mm-hmm. If you're staying by say O'Hare, if you're staying by O'Hare, then I would definitely head up toward retrocade. Yeah. Yeah. You get there easily. And then, then 257's pretty much on just on the other side of O'Hare Airport over in Schaumburg, yeah. but I, I can't really give that place a huge glowing recommendation, but there are a few reasons to go oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, hey, and I've mentioned before, if you we tell you, hey, go to both places, I can guarantee you that if you go to one place and you say you're from out of town, you will be told, hey, before you go back home, go to the other place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Exactly. You definitely will. But um, As we've said before, the Chicago arcade scene is uh it's a community it really is i mean there's there's no there's no no competition it's there's just like different chapters in a in a book series for the most part but if uh distance I mean, isn't a care then i c- here's what i can tell you there is a difference i mean there are a few differences between underground retrocade and galloping ghost and in my opinion they are both awesome i love them both very much galloping ghost they have as we speak right now 526 video games and pinball machines vast majority of that is video games of course and they tend to specialize in one-on-one combat games like your mortal (laughs) combats and uh, they have a game they're working on they're actually developing themselves called dark presence which is going to be a one-on-one combat game i don't like one-on-one combat games but i do i really am looking forward to dark presence because that's a fascinating I'm, i'm curious about that one myself i can't say i don't like 
all one-on-one combat games because I do like the Primal Rage games, but that's pretty much sure. about it for me. Because you're fighting with dinosaurs, and who doesn't like dinosaurs? I'm indifferent about dinosaurs. But one reason I can say that uh, I'm looking forward to Dark Presence is simply because if you 1cc the game, it actually dispenses a trophy. That's the plan. Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's the, the plan. plan. That's it true. might be yeah. one of those things that they could leave out at the end because these, I mean, there's a lot of things that game, you know, game manufacturers leave out for one reason or another, but we'll see. I mean, even without that, it's still a concept I'm uh, interested to see because it's just, it's just some guy, you know, creating his own arcade games. Yeah, exactly. Now he has an out- outlet for it with his own arcade in the Chicago market. Hey, I'm all for it. I mean, that would be something interesting to see how much the arcade industry is coming back with some of these indies, like uh, uh, the game Sky Cursor. Oh, yeah. And then, of, of course, with Dark Presence and all that, which we should still try to get the dark, uh, the Sky Cursor guys on here, because that's an interesting game. I love its visual style. Oh, yeah. But, um, and um, so what else do I have to say is that uh, Galloping Ghost, they don't really have, I, I think, a specialty in a, in a particular era of video games. What I can say that sets Galloping Ghost apart from everybody else, and I've mentioned this to Jimmy G before, I might have mentioned this on the show, but when you go to Galloping Ghost, it's like Doc Mack, the proprietor. It's like he is putting on a show, and you are going to mm-hmm. be part of that show. And he's the ringleader. Exactly. And, it, and, and I'm not making that up, because he has that kind of the showmanship quality about him. It's not um, uh, an arrogance, like you, like the, the classic you know ringleaders in circuses of days gone by have. He's... Um, well, I, I can't say it about him. I got to say it about him and Scott and everybody else we've met in the arcade industry. Everybody that works at these places are the friendliest people on earth. And they care as much about the games as they do their customers. All of them do. I mean, oh, Scott yeah. does. Uh, Doc does. Uh, Pete Han does. Really, Scott's family works at uh, Retrocade, don't they? In fact, his son his son was with us at uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic, now that I yeah. think about it. Yeah, his wife works there, too. I mean, yeah, it is it is literally a mom-and-pop place. Uh, so now, You know what? We do a lot of gushing about the the uh, about the arcade scene in the Chicago area, and uh, I think for good reason. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't been to the arcades in, in any other parts of the country because I just don't get anywhere else, literally. But and I'm sure they have great things, you know, going on elsewhere. And in fact, do this. Everybody listening to this show, we're still soliciting arcade memories. But also, we would encourage you to send us a recorded file of your not just your arcade memories, but your arcade memories. <laughs> arcade memories. Those would be welcome too. But uh, but your arcade. Um, Oh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cucumber? Uh, like reports. Reports on your local arcade scene, what you like about your local arcade oh, yeah. uh, environments. And name names for all of the ones that you like, all of the good ones. Give them shout-outs on our show. Yeah. We don't mind. In fact, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I was talking to Doc Mack, and I was telling him, man, you've done a lot of stuff for us. We'd like to give you a plug on the show. But he's like, you know what? You guys are doing a service. You're helping promote the arcade culture. and You're welcome, everybody. Yes, and that's uh, that's what we want to do. I mean, we we gush about the Chicago arcade culture. Give us reasons to gush about the arcade culture that we can't see, that's not anywhere near us. So send us in your arcade uh, reports from around the world. We will be happy, happy, ecstatic to air them. And since I talked about the thing that sets Galloping Ghost apart, I might, might as well talk about what I think sets Underground Retrocade apart, too. Go for it. 
the key word is retrocade, I think. And you go to Underground Retrocade, it's basically this big celebration about why we love these video games from mm-hmm. uh, from back in the Ferg and why we still do. There are some newer things there, like also like they have Sky Cursor at Underground Retrocade, they which is did brand just new. Get- the brand new Ghostbusters pinball right. at Underground yeah. Retrocade. I think they're the. I don't think Galloping Ghost has that. But yeah, you walk in Underground Retrocade. The first things you're going to see once you get past the little lounge area up front, you're going to see all the core classics. You're going to see your Pac-Mans. You're going to see your Ataris. Yeah. Not even that. Yeah. Not even that. You walk in. When you walk in, before you look in the arcade. Look at the display cases with the where the registers are. Look at the, all the not arcade, but all the classic video game. Uh, paraphernalia that uh, that Scott has in his display cases, right? You know, right where you walk in, where you pay. He's got a lot of the mini cades. He's got uh, he's got some Atari computers in there, and check it out, man. It's it's almost like a little mini museum when you walk in there. It's really awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you're almost guaranteed that when you're there, you will. There's going to be like uh, a movie that has to do with uh, retro video gaming, like like uh, say uh, Pixel. Is Pixels out yet? Actually, I don't know. The uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, Wreck It Ralph. Uh, sometimes there will be Starcade reruns. Uh, sometimes there will be music that's apropos to the time. Sometimes you'll hear a podcast, maybe including ours, maybe including others as well. In fact, that's where I first heard the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. And the first time I ever went there, uh, you were there at the same time, and they were playing our most recent episode. Yep. That was fun. Anyway, that's that's what I had to say about that. It's been in my notes for, like, months and months and months, and I just wanted to, uh, yeah. Well, all righty then. So shall we uh, make, make mention a few of these a uh, few comments here yes. on uh, our last episode? Now, did you get any emails? Um, no, but I did get a response actually from uh, Bill Pepper of the Atari Bytes podcast. Oh, who thanked us for the shout out and added, "Well, I'm going to pronounce Denouement, or as he says, Denouement, however I feel to pronounce it, because it's my show." So, Galaga. <laughs> so, any rate, Galaga. <laughs> which which makes me think that if we really want to find out who's listening, we should really start insulting people. So, hmm. Robbie Krieger, go to hell. I'm speechless. And with that, I'm going to talk some more. Adele, I hope you get dumped again. Yes. So, at any rate, got a couple of comments about the pre- our previous episode about Simpsons and Roadrunner. It's a bit of a conversation on Atari Age and uh, the Pie Factory podcast uh, thread, which, let's be honest, that's kind of like really our official message board for the most part. We don't really need anything big. You can post comments to Facebook or, you know, onto the uh, Pie Factory podcast thread on Atari Age, which... Uh, do we have a permanent link on the website? Uh, we don't have any links on the website. We got to do that. We should put a permanent link to the Atari Age thread on the website. Yeah. But it's a conversation between Cinecaster and S1500. Uh, Cinecaster, I'm a bit dumbfounded by the amount of veneration that gets heaped on the Simpsons arcade game, so to hear a critical review of it for once is kind of refreshing. With TMNT, even if the game is a mindless button masher, at least the IP and the play mechanics make sense together. The Simpsons don't even have that going for it, which I would agree with that. In retrospect, to stretch the Simpsons' skin over beat-em-up engine feels opportunistic and lazy. Instead of the ludicrous notion of an eight-year-old girl beating up grown men with a skipping rope, it would have been cool to have a collection of skill-based minigames centered around each of the main characters along the lines of, say, Circus Charlie, which is a... (laughs) Pie Factory, a bingo card... 
That's another game we need to talk about. Uh, oh, with 1991 audiovisuals, some creative game design, progressive difficulty, and a scoring system that is not completely meaningless, a game like that could be fun, not to mention a lot more timeless in its appeal. But alas, the business case just wouldn't have been there to do a game like that. For one, it's a lot more cost-effective to retool an existing game than it, is, than it is to design a whole new one. And by the time 1991 rolled around, the classic skill-based arcade game paradigm was already dead and buried, supplanted by the simultaneous multiplayer quarter guzzler. Uh, S1500 responds, I've always been soured by fight-and-go-right games, since it seems like no matter what you do, the mechanics of the game are stacked against you. I played in six-player X-Men with all players being used, and still there were some enemies that would be guaranteed to knock health off of you. Just seemed like I was going through the motions where superior skill in said game would make zero difference. Not really anything to record for Twin Galaxies. Compare this with Gauntlet, where your health runs down so fast you won't find enough health power-ups to keep perpetually playing. It's a nice coincidence that adding more money gives you a boost of 500 health. <laughs> which, okay, that's the end of S1500's response, which there was a thread on Atari Age talking about, I believe it was Gauntlet 2, which uh, the guy delved into the, uh, the actual code of the arcade game and came up with some really, really fascinating stuff about how Gauntlet 2 works as far as power-ups and character balancing and that. And uh, we, I think that's a game we should get to before too long, uh, Gauntlet 2. So we should probably talk Gauntlet and Gauntlet 2 in the same show because they're really pretty much the same. Gauntlet 2 has just got a few added things to it. But we should talk about that in the show soon enough because this, this thread on Atari Age that I'm referencing, which uh, is, is really, really fascinating, some of the stuff that this guy uncovered. But um, continuing, Cinecaster responds... Exactly. They designed the games for all intents and purposes. Impossible. It's kind of a scam, really. I know the argument could be made that it's not a scam, because regardless if the game is made to be impossible, you still receive a few minutes of entertainment in exchange for your quarter. In this sense, the arcade company is holding up their end of the bargain. In the context of the day, I agree, and that is probably why I enjoyed those games at the time. I was getting the chance to play games on cutting-edge hardware in exchange for the whole of my allowance. But when it is viewed through the retro gaming lens all these years later, when there is no business relationship between the game and the player, it's much different. As retro gamers, we're just looking to enjoy some old-school video games at free-play arcades or on MAME rigs simply because we enjoy the lost art of those games. Yet, the unsavory artifacts of the business side of the transaction are still baked into the game code, killing you every few seconds. At that point, the curtain falls to reveal these quarter-guzzler types for what they are, and we as players find ourselves mashing the coin-up button almost as vigorously as the attack button. Lameness and disillusionment ensue, and then a move over to the Bosconian machine, which, again, Pie Factory bingo card. So, <laughs> I love Bosconian. That's a fun game. I still don't know how to play it. I've tried playing it a couple of times, and I couldn't figure it out. It's probably easier than I think. It, I, I'm sure it is. You'll have to get your learn on for that sometime soon. But um, there you go. Thank you, uh, Cinecaster and S1500, hey, thanks, for everybody. your uh, contributions. I just refer back to our interview with King Henry VIII because that was interesting hearing his uh, his side of the whole quote-unquote quarter-munching part of the arcade experience, I guess to say. And King Henry VIII will also be at the Pixel Blast uh, grand opening along with... Jeff Lee. Uh, Jeff Lee, yes. Yes, the Qbert guy. And I haven't heard if any of the, the Williams guys are going to be there or not, but if they are... We're going to be there. If they're not, we will still probably be there. Yeah, we'll still probably be there. So that is all I have for comments. Uh, are we all set to move on? I do believe so. So uh, let's move on. Are we right moving in. on up to the east side? Uh, we're going to keep moving, 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 though uh, many listeners are probably disapproving. Before we move on, I do have to say this, uh, that little Jefferson's reference I just mentioned. The very first TV appearance of Donald Trump was on the Jeffersons. Really? In 1985. Huh. Yep. 
But a, a, a Sherman Hemsley counteracts a Donald Trump every time. Sherman Hemsley is one of the few comedic actors that would make me smile just seeing his face appear on the screen. There you go. Now, Jimmy G. Shawnee C. Oh, no, no. What was your name today? Uh, Tilted Mike. Tilted Mike. Tilted Mike. This sound, that sounds like an Irish restaurant with half-naked women. Yeah, it uh, does. No, that's Tilted Kilt. Never mind. All right, listen to me. Listen to me. Okay. I'm Very just... important question. Yeah. Frenzy or scramble? Hmm. I guess if you get whipped up into a frenzy, you could scramble things. So let's go with frenzy. Good, because that's all I have notes for right now. And I was going to like write more notes on scramble while we talk about frenzy. So that's perfect timing. So that's how you do this, huh? That's how I did it tonight, because hey, I didn't have any freaking time to I prep. I waited to the last minute to make notes on these games. I'll thank you very much. At least I had the courtesy to not do it during the show, mister. Do you? Yeah, no, maybe not. Okay, so let's talk about frenzy. Ah, uh, frenzy. Frenzy is uh, the sequel to Oi, frenzy. Oi. Oi, we're talking about Frenzy. We're talking about Frenzy, are we? Yes, we are. We're talking about Frenzy. Oi. So, we're talking about Frenzy as I break out of my Jackie Mason impersonation. Uh, it's it's basically the same object as Berserk. Uh, you got a man, you're in a maze, you're shooting robots, and then eventually Evil Otto will come out to try to kill you if you don't move it along fast enough. Well, it's really the same game, in, it's in a way. It's the same you game, don't... but they added so many twists to it. If you can play Berserk, you can play Frenzy. Not necessarily well, though. Being exactly. good at Berserk and being good at Frenzy are two different things. Now, why is it, you ask? Well, why is it? we'll let you know. First of all, the control's the same. You've got your your uh, your eight-way joystick and you got your fire button. Is it eight-way? Yeah, it is eight-way. The walls are no longer electrified. You can touch the walls now, but two things you need to know about the walls. There are blocks of the walls that you can shoot away, so you can eventually shoot through the walls. Or, if it uh, looks solid and it's like a, a white color... It's a reflective wall. If you shoot against it, your shot reflects. And you got to be real careful with that because that will come back to bite you in the butt more often than it won't. Then, actually, I found out, I read this somewhere, and I uh, put some cheats on in MAME on Frenzy to find this out. Uh, now, what happens is the blocks are usually a different color than the, uh, than the reflective wall. The reflective wall being kind of a white-gray sort of thing, whereas the... The blocks will be like a red or a yellow or a blue or a green or whatever. There will eventually come a maze, if you're good enough at this game, where the breakaway blocks are the same color as the reflective wall. On those screens, every wall is reflective. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> that is um, extremely difficult, to say the least. Now, there are two different kinds of enemies in this one. Instead of just the robots in the original uh, Berserk, the, uh, the robots were replaced with skeletons and with kind of a... I don't know, kind of like a pod-looking thing with an eye in the middle. Uh, and they still shoot the same. The, um, they shoot a little off-center when they're vertical. Oh, and one thing I didn't mention about the reflective shots. If you're shooting one of the walls at a 45-degree angle, it'll just bounce off at a 45-degree angle. If, you're if you shoot straight up, once it hits the wall, your shot moves to the left or the right just a little bit, just like one pixel, and then shoot down, and it'll just keep doing that until the shot either hits a block from a wall or it hits a... Um, uh, Cucumber? Uh, the cucumber. An enemy, an enemy bullet, or evil auto. Also, with the, the blocks that can be shot away, you can actually shoot an exit from the maze if you get trapped. Yes. So uh, that's, uh, that's another strategy that you can play, although that's not as handy as you would think it would be. One thing I did neglect to mention, uh, let's, let's talk about how the mazes are generated, because we talked about that a little bit with Berserk. If you go the horizontal, there's like a blue block every... There's like seven blue blocks along the bottom, and there's five blue blocks uh, vertically. There are nine of the breakaway blocks between those. I don't believe you can break away. Uh, those are not breakable. 
Oh, something interesting I did notice in playing this. If you walk up next to a breakable wall, and sometimes the color of your uh, your character will bleed over into the wall, if it does that, you cannot shoot that block. That's a little glitch in the game that I discovered, which I know someone else probably discovered it too, but uh, there you go. But uh, let me see. So I did that. Now, I talked about the robots, and uh, they change color with every level, as do the breakaway blocks in the wall. Evil Otto can be killed. It takes three shots to kill him. You know when I learned that? When did you learn that? About an hour ago. Just before we started recording. Yeah. Now, the thing with Evil Otto, it takes three shots to kill. He will go away, but he'll come right back and immediately into the screen at a faster pace. So that'll buy you a little time to get away. I think the Atari 26... I know we're jumping ahead, but I think the Atari 2600 uh, Berserk has a similar option. Yes, you can kill Evil Otto, but it only takes one shot. Yeah, and he comes right back, too. Right, but I don't think you get points for that in the 2600 Berserk. In the uh, arcade uh, frenzy, you can... Uh, I think you believe you do get point. In fact, I know you do because uh, I put on an invincibility cheat just to see what would happen if I was invincible if I just kept shooting evil Otto. Would I crash the game or what would happen? And uh, I'll get to that in a moment because there's a few other things that we need to talk about first that actually directly tie into it. Uh, every now and then you'll get a special maze with one of four items in the middle. Like uh, it'll take up a whole nine by nine cell of the maze. One thing you'll have is a computer, it'll say ARM on it. And what that does, it keeps spawning more and more robots. I believe that you only have to kill the robots that were on the screen at the time you entered the maze to get the bonus when you leave. Then there's a computer that has uh, like a tape deck on it. Now, if you shoot that, the enemies in the maze can't find you. Oh, one thing I didn't neglect to mention, not only are the walls not electrified, you do not die by walking into the robots. You still die by getting shot by them, you still die by getting crushed by Evil Otto, and you still die by walking into their explosion. But you do not die by actually just walking into a robot. So I thought I should end that, put that in there. At any rate, yeah, there's a computer, it's got like a tape on it. If you shoot that, the enemies can't find you. They just stop firing at you. They just look around, and there's an audio clip that plays. Where is the humanoid? Every now and then there will also be, you'll find a, a huge Tesla coil in the middle of the maze. Uh, if you shoot that, it freezes all the enemies. And then, there's also a maze with a gigantic evil Otto in a cell inside the maze. Now in that one, if you shoot, kill the evil Otto that's coming toward you, the gigantic evil Otto in the middle will spawn four incredibly fast evil Ottos to come get you, and you might as well just put your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye on that one, because you're going to pretty much die on that. Now, as I was saying before, I put the cheats on just to do some exploring because I was kind of curious what happened if you just kept shooting evil autos. Now, on the screen with the gigantic evil auto, you could just keep shooting, 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 killing, 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 killing. Nothing happens. However, on a screen without that, if you shoot evil auto, it'll send one out a little bit faster than the one you previously caught, and then a little faster. And then it'll uh, send two out at you that are faster. That's like about the fourth or fifth one. And then faster, faster, faster. And eventually, after you kill 13 or 14 evil autos, they don't come out anymore on that screen. But, remember, I had to do that with an invincibility cheat turned on. Uh, If you could do that without an invincibility cheat, you're a better man than I, and I'm going to shut the podcast down if you can do it. (laughs) In other words, I don't think you can do it without cheating. So... I thought I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I just you never know. I might just suddenly have my Tuesday nights free for all we know. Well, that's all of, I have on my notes. It works on the same concept as Berserk. You kill all the, the enemies in the maze, 
and uh, you get a bonus point if you leave the maze successfully. And uh, Evil Otto will spawn from the point where you entered the maze. But uh, that's pretty much the game for the most part. It's the same objective, but they added so many great twists to it. I'm glad they got rid of the electrified walls because that was a, just a bit of a pain in the ass. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but the other, <laughs> but those reflective walls can be just as deadly if you're not paying attention. And, uh, and the breakaway walls can be too because, you know, you're looking, you, you, at least with the electrified walls, you can't shoot them or break them down. So you have, you know, if something's shooting toward you, you know, that direction, but if there's a wall between you, you don't got to worry about it. But now with the breakaway wall, you've got something else you got to worry about. So there's really not that many... Correction, in Berserk, there were basically some safe places to hide. In Frenzy, there are no safe places in the maze at all. The one other thing is in Berserk, uh, I believe the maze could not have any closed areas or walls that you can't go through to get to another entrance. That can happen in Berserk, but at least one of the walls will always be a breakaway wall so you can like shoot through it so you can get to the exit on the other side or as i said previously you can shoot the little breakaways on the edge of the maze and create your own exit if you need one man if you have to shoot down the wall you're probably in trouble anyway yeah and i'm sure pink floyd would have something to say about that so what have ye to say about berserk or not Berserk, about Frenzy. Let's go with Frenzy this time. Yeah, let's go with Frenzy this time. Um, I really don't have much more to say because you pretty much covered it all. In fact, a lot of what you said, I'm going to be quite honest, I'm just learning for the first time. I mentioned last week how we're both learning, that we're not experts necessarily, we're just fans. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't know half the stuff you were talking. I was like, really? All this? What? Yeah. I've been playing it wrong all this time. Well, I had the, uh, the plus of having Frenzy on the ColecoVision, which... Is the only oh. official home port for a classic console. We'll get to other ports after a while. but uh, So I could practice on that. So I knew a lot of this stuff already, but I thought Coleco added some stuff to the arcade game because it just seemed like that there was just so much more depth to Frenzy than there was Berserk that I'm thinking Coleco had to have added stuff. But, but they didn't. I mean, that was all right there in the arcade. And this is, I think, one of the uh, better sequel arcade sequels that have ever been created. I still say uh, Asteroids Deluxe is probably better than that. But uh, yeah, this is definitely a, a, a great sequel to uh, what I considered a, a great game. You were you were on the you were meh about the original Berserk, but uh, but uh, let's. Uh, I mentioned home ports just now. I mean, we only there was only the one that I'm aware of from back in ye old day console days. Yeah, I knew there was something. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was ColecoVision or what. Yep. And I wonder, was it on... As far as I know, it was not on the Acorn Archimedes. That was for uh, Aaron Dowdy over at the uh, Amigos podcast. It was certainly not on the Tommy Tutor. Yeah, I can't find it. I'll, I'll look later. Yeah, I mean, there we go. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Do you have anything in the way of scores on the game? Uh, in the way of scores, well, this is where things get a little bit convoluted here. First of all, I'll talk about the arcade high scores for this May 1982 classic. Um, according to Arcade.com, Joel West has the record, which he performed July 30th, 2011 during the third annual Richie Knuckles Invitational. And by the way, Twin Galaxies agrees with this, at least for the marathon track, 4,933,702. Yeah, I know. 4 million? 4, almost 5 million. How, this is not an incredibly high scoring game. How do you get that? No, it's not. (laughs) I don't know. He doesn't have a family. I don't know. (laughs) He must have a catheter attached to like a, 
a, like a, a gigantic barrel or something. How many bonus lives can you build up in uh, Frenzy? I don't know if there's a limit because when I was uh, when I was cheating, I only turned on the invincibility. And I was just oh, that's killing, true. Yeah. Just killing evil auto after evil auto after evil auto. Before I got bored, I racked up like a hundred free lives. Well, maybe not that much. Maybe thirty. You know what? I think it was thirty-five. It just seemed like a hundred because it took so long to get there. Well, if it lets you rack up a, a decent number of lives, it might be that uh, he took a power nap every now and then. Which that is a common too. strategy for marathoning. I was, what, what I was uh, tr- hoping to achieve was to play Frenzy to rack up 255 free lives to see if that would do anything, but I got oh. bored. I got bored <laughs> well before then. Oh, you should have done a save state and gone back to it when you weren't bored. But why do that when it makes sense? I, I can't answer that, unfortunately. But uh, well, There you go. Uh, but Twin Galaxies has... Um, this is the weird thing about Twin Galaxies. They have a bunch of tracks for Frenzy, and not many of them actually have scores in them. But it agrees with Arcade.com for marathon settings. Uh, Joel West, 4,933,702. The other tracks that actually are occupied, that actually have records in them, let's see, there is a track for Fastest to a Million, which verified November 27, 2012, was Joel West. And there's also a record for fastest to 100,000, which uh, verified June 6th, 2013 was Joel West. I love those uh, fastest to such and such score records because that adds a totally new uh, oh, yeah. a new element to the gameplay. Yeah, I'm actually try- I'm actually practicing Crossy Road to get that record there. That's not a retro game. You are dead to me. Uh, but then again, I'm playing Adventure Capitalist on my phone, so... Um, and you were singing the praises of Sky Cursor. Thank you very much. Well, that's different because it's a retro style game. But enough about Joel West. Let me tell you about me. Uh-oh. Now, Joel West, he has almost 5 million points. Now, on Arcade.com, Arcade.com has, let's see, 58 people with uh, scores on their scoreboard, on their uh-huh. leaderboard. I'm number 16. Really? I have, according to Orcade.com, the 16th highest score in the world on Frenzy. And what is that score? 7,279. <laughs> I even beat Robert Mruzek on this. Whoa! Yeah. And Jason Latko, I beat him, too. And I know he's, he's got... And Paul Kowalishin, I, met, I beat him, too. Wow. <laughs> Look at all these high scores that's, that I've beaten. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it it is fun to to beat somebody who gets consistently higher scores at just about everything. Um, Tim Foley, d- man, just I because beat him. it might not be their game. <laughs> yep. Let's see. Uh, oh man, freaking Duke has me beat uh, by ten thousand points. Doc only has thirty thousand. Still, that is a Donald bit of an Hayes. Donald Hayes has a buttload of records, and he only has fifty six thousand. Really, a buttload? Well. Okay, a torso load. Oh, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. So, And uh, something that uh, I didn't hear you mention was the speech synthesis. Oh, yeah. Well, I did briefly mention that. You mentioned On it, the yes. one screen where you um, have the um, computer, it looks like a reel-to-reel tape thing on it. If you hit that, when the enemies can't find you, the machine does say, Where is the humanoid? So I did mention that, but I didn't mention that this has much more speech than Berserk does. And a lot... And, really? Um, well, maybe not much more. It has different speech. It has yeah, different I th- speech. I thought it actually had much less, because the only speech I ever heard in this game was... Oh, it has a lot more. It has a lot more. Our robot is not a human. 
or no. A robot is not a kitten. It's, it's, I think it's got more. Maybe not a lot more, but I think it's got more. A robot must get the humanoid. Wasn't this also available as a conversion kit for Berserk? Uh, I believe it was. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me because it does look like it's the same hardware. I mean, this game and Berserk are not that graphically impressive. I mean, they're they're just they're just bare right. bones. Uh, no, multi- well, the the sprites aren't multicolored. I mean, when you get the big machines in the middle, those are multicolored. But I mean, it's it's just a bare bones graphic game. But it's fun. I like it. Um, I guess I'm getting into my ratings now. But uh, shall we just go hog wild with the ratings? Let's go hog wild. Yeah. Let's squeal like a pig and rate this game. I, I'm going to give this a five continues. Wow. It's uh, it's better than Berserk. And that's the reason. And it's more fun than Berserk. And that's why I'm giving this a five. It is a heck of a lot harder than Berserk. And I don't know if I'll ever get much better at it. But I have fun playing this game. And I really, really like this one a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a four. I was only gonna give it a three, but man, the more I learn about, it, the more it's like, the more it's like, more it's like, it's like, whoa, hold on. Now, please tell me you saved the audio. Okay, I saved the audio. All right, good. So, anyway, I had a lot of fun with this game. Uh, five so, continues. I'm gonna give it a four. I was originally gonna give it three because to me, it felt at first just like berserk with a few extra frills, but it turns out there are a lot of extra frills in this, and they're quite handy too. And one of them that I should mention is that when you break away any piece of the wall, you get an extra point. Yeah, it's just one point. And oh, I did man, did forget that. And yes. I will say this: it's probably not the best point pressing strategy in the world because you're not going to get a lot of points. But then, hey, well, that's one other thing I did when uh, when I was cheating is I just took a maze at random when it, uh, this was when I was invincible and just destroyed all of the dots to see if anything special would happen. Nah. The only thing that special happens, you can pretty much leave any side of the maze without looking for an exit. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just like going to say four. Four continues. Four continues. Awesome. And I have to say that uh, I did mention this is on the ColecoVision, and um, this is pretty close to being the killer app for the ColecoVision. The ColecoVision really? version of this one is really good. Jeez, my first and my I, first thought would have been Donkey Kong, but that's really the only ColecoVision game I've ever actually personally experienced. So, Yeah, Frenzy is really good. So you can't get you can't go wrong with frenzy on the ColecoVision. So, with that, since you're Mr. Host Guy, what should we do next? Uh, we should probably talk about a other game. Oh, you know, one thing oh. we forgot to mention. Now, since we haven't started talking about Scramble yet, do you remember the first place you ever played Frenzy? <laughs> yes, I do. Let me guess, Galloping Ghost? No. Underground Retrocade. Underground Retrocade. Because <laughs> yes. where, where I usually went, where I, I went to uh, Aladdin's Castle, Lincoln Mall, I don't think they ever had Frenzy. I couldn't. I honestly couldn't tell you. They had so many games there. I just honestly could not. Tell I had you. heard of Frenzy. I heard it was a sequel to Berserk, and I was always interested in it. But I never saw it. I never saw it. And in fact, to this day, it's not really the easiest game to find because if you go to arcade.com and you type in Frenzy, first of all, you're going to find out that there are like five or six games out there with the word Frenzy in their titles. Mm-hmm. Yep, that you will. And second of all, there are only eight locations listed on that site as having it. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, now that we've talked about Frenzy, we've talked about all th- pretty much all three of the games in the Berserk lineage. Uh, Berserk, Frenzy, and uh, Lost Tomb. Well, if you consider Lost Tomb part of the lineage, I, I consider don't. it. I consider it uh, part of the lineage. I don't because it's different developers, different uh, 
themes. It's, it seems that it was. It, I, mean, it I can had a see, lot of I can see why, me, but, but yeah, it's, it's shit. But, okay, so yeah, we'll go halfway in that. As far as Frenzy goes, I believe the first time I place I ever played it was back when I was in high school at Nabby's Beef in Plainfield, Illinois, on one of the days where it was final exams, and I had plenty of time to walk all the way to the other side of town just to get a good. Italian beef sandwich, and if you have not had a, been to Chicago and indulged on a good Italian beef sandwich, you are missing out. Let me tell you. So, Frenzy, yes, Nabby's Beef, which is still there, really? by the where, way. Where at? Um, they changed ownership, I believe, about 92, but they, they are still there. They're right on Route 30 in uh, Plainfield, just, uh, just north of downtown. So... If you uh, get a chance to get to Plainfield, get to Nabby's Beef. Oh, gosh, that place is awesome. So They're still good? Last time I was there, about a year and a half ago, they were still good. So, Mr. Hostman, what do you think? We, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Mr. Hostman, what should we do, Mr. Hostman? We should uh, talk about a game. Mr. Hostman, look and see. Oh, yeah. Is there another game for oh, me? Oh, yeah. Mr. Ho, 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 Hostman. Uh, check it and see. Uh, scramble. Seeing as there's only one more game we've talking about. Scramble. Tonight. Yeah, scramble. 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 Upnik. Yeah, people that used to watch SCTV will know that one. There was an episode. I used to of the watch show. SCTV, but I don't know that. There was one episode where they uh, accidentally got uh, broken in by a. Uh, they accidentally captured a. Uh, uh, a feed from the Soviet Union, and the game show they had was Scrabbleupnik. So <laughs> it was like it was like uh, Scrabble. So, at any rate, so uh, let's talk about Scramble. Scramble. What you got is you got this ship. It's a side scroll. You're on the left side. Scramble. You're on the left side of the screen. You got a ship. You can move eight directions to you know, go. But I don't know about halfway to the screen. And you're navigating your ship over mountains and through caves and stuff, and you're destroying objects and installations all throughout the caves and whatnot. Um, you have rockets that sometimes are stationary and sometimes get shot off at you. Uh, you have mystery bases, which if you destroy those, you get a mysterious bonus. And you have video game physics at work. Yes, destroying a fuel container puts more fuel in your inventory. Don't ask how that works. Just accept it. Well, you absorb the fumes. That might be it. Other enemies that you have is you have UFOs and you have fireballs. And at the very end, there is a base, the very last sequence that you have to destroy. Now, there are six different sequences. The first one is the mountains. You're just navigating over mountains, destroying things with your guns and with your bombs. Uh, one thing I do need to mention about your bombs, they do travel forward about an inch before they drop. So that you need to plan accordingly with that. Now, the second uh, phase of the game is the cave. This cave has UFOs that fly in sort of an erratic S-shaped pattern. And uh, you can shoot those down for some more, you know, for some more points. In the third, you're still in the cave, but this time you have fireballs that come shooting out of the right-hand side of the screen toward you. You cannot destroy those. And I will add that in, at the very least through the very first fly-through. I don't know if this changes in subsequent fly-throughs, but the second and third section, the rockets do not fire. 
so you don't have to worry about those coming up from the ground. Now you do have to worry about the fireballs and uh, one of the best strategy with that is to kind of like leap over the mountains and hide in the valleys because the fireballs cannot go through the mountains. So if you keep doing that, you will be somewhat safe, but you know, when you crest over a mountain, you got to watch out for that. The fourth round is what they refer to, I believe, as the city, where it's no longer mountains, but they, they're like skyscrapers and you've got the rockets and the bases and the fuel through there. This screen, it's harder to destroy the rockets because they're actually in like deep slots in the landscape and you really have to time your bomb drops in those to uh, get at them. But you still, like I said, you also have the bases and the, uh, the mystery bases, I mean, and the Mystery Base Theater 3000, and the uh, fuel tanks in that screen. And then you have the fifth screen, Strange. Hello, I'm Dr. Strange. Actually, I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to rap with you tonight about... Diabetes. Ice Ice Brimley. Look it up on YouTube. That's, you, you will thank me for that. Uh, the fifth sequence is called The Labyrinth. This only has fuels in there. This is the hardest screen in the game because it's all about navigation. You have paths that you have to go through horizontally that are the width of your ship, and then you have barely enough space in vertical passages in the labyrinth to go up and down. And you really have to have your timing down for these uh, especially with the fuel tanks, because even though they can't fire at you or whatever, you will still die if you run into a fuel tank. So you really got to watch out for that. Watch out for what? Snakes? Watch out for snakes. I'm going to put a ban on you from using that for one episode, just starting next episode. And then we'll review it the next episode after that. Uh, the, la the final sequence is called Base. And it's just called Base. Uh, one thing I did neglect to mention is above the play area, it has a uh, kind of like a, a display that tells you which section of the game you're in. And they're numbered one through five, with the exception of the last one, which is just labeled base. The only enemy in this one is the final base, and you have to drop your bombs to destroy it. Again, I was doing some research on this today, and I put the cheats on just to see if there's anything I hadn't normally seen in the game. The way that the base is set up, you really, really have to know what you're doing and get the timing right to bomb that thing. A interesting thing with the base area, every now and then there will be a, like a pillar you know, that comes up like right before the base. It'll say either Konami, if this is the Konami version, or Stern, if it's the Stern version of the game. I believe it says Stern. If it's the Stern version of the game, Stern Electronics. Also who made Frenzy, now that I think about it. I thought that was a little interesting. And you will die if you crash into the <laughs> crash into the words Konami or Stern. Oh, jeez. So uh, they're very stern about crashing into Stern. Oh, damn it. You stole what I was going to say. Well, do you want to say it? No, because you already did. You, you took the power from it. Fine. You be a little poopy head. One uh, other interesting thing is uh, you are given a little leeway with your ship because your spaceship also has, like, the, the exhaust, like the flame coming out the back. You can actually touch the surrounding uh, landscapes and not die. It's just when it touches kind of like, you know, what would be like the solid part of the ship in normal use or in, in, in real life uh, that you would lose a life if it touches anything. And really that's about all I have to say about uh, Scramble. It's uh, it is the first in the, uh, well, we talked about Gradius previously. Gradius is in the Scramble lineage. 
as uh, we had mentioned, I believe they said uh, they they considered Gradius uh, Scramble Two. I believe something like that. that but I think it is officially episode. recognized as part of the Gradius 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 limit lineage lineage Scramble. And um, this was followed up almost immediately uh, with a conversion kit called Super Cobra, which uh, this uh, Scramble's not an easy game. It's hard, but if you think this is hard. Try playing Super Cobra. That game is near impossible. Now, let me ask you something. Is it just me, or are there more... I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but is it? are there more home ports of Super Cobra than there are Scramble? Yeah, there is. For whatever reason, Scramble was listed on many different... I believe uh, Milton Bradley had the Atari 2600 rights for Scramble, and it was, if I'm not mistaken, on a list of games that they were going to release for, but it never came out. And I think the only two classic consoles that it came out on was, first of all, the Vectrex. Yes. Came out on the Vectrex. And then it came out on a little thing called, I believe it's the Entex Adventure Vision, which was a little portable device that had just red LED dots or L, not LED, LCD dots, and trying to make an approximation of the arcade game. And I believe there were only th- three or four games released for that. Defender, I know, was one. I think Turtles, Scramble, and I couldn't tell you what the fourth one was. I could be wrong on Turtles, but I definitely know Defender and Scramble were on that system. And um, I would so love to actually get my to play one of those. I always wanted one of those, even though I knew it was going to be a piece of crap. But uh, I actually hear people... Kind of like the thing, but uh, there you go. But that you know, that's the home ports. Uh, what are your uh, impressions on Scramble? All right. Well, here's uh, Jimmy Cagney on Scramble. <clears throat> oh, you dirty rat! You're gonna play Scramble. Not a bit like Cagney. Well, that's one impression on Scramble. Hello, Patrick. I'm gonna play Scramble. <laughs> what do you have to say about Scramble? Well, what do I get to say about Scramble is, um, I like it. What can I say? And for the longest time, I didn't know it was an arcade game. It, it, and unlike a lot of other games that I didn't know was, were arcade games, like, say, Phoenix, I actually knew about Scramble being in the arcades for quite a while, just not until years after it was out. I first played the Vectrex version, actually, during that time I had a Vectrex, and it was I really liked it on the Vectrex. Now, what is kind of bizarre about that version is... The flame that comes out of your rocket's butt, if that touches anything, you're dead. So basically, mm-hmm. every the entire it's different than the arcade. Yeah, yeah. That basically that entire sprite is considered part of your ship. But uh, I found that the arcade game is much more forgiving. Like you can actually like get not like like especially in that last phase where you're going through uh, through the uh, the tunnels. Oh yeah, the labyrinth. Yeah, through the labyrinth, you can actually. Oh gosh, that is ultra it, hard. It really is. It was hard on the Vectrex, too. In fact, uh, I would imagine it'd be harder if it considers the uh, the flame part of your ship. Yeah, yeah. And for the longest time, I just had the hardest time beating that level. And uh, when I had my Vectrex, I actually kept it in my brother's bedroom at the time because uh, he had a little bit more room than I did. And he would play it, too, sometimes. And we both referred to that stage as the impossible part because we couldn't get through it. And I remember there was one magical day I made it through. I got it to the. I got to the second loop, and I was so happy with that. And you know, I told my brother that day. I was like, "I got the impossible part done." He said, "Yeah, I think I did too. I think I fi- finally figured it out." 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I would I would think that of all the games that we've we've talked about so far, the one that you would think would have the most joystick problems would be scramble because yeah. I know I know of people that when it comes to that labyrinth screen, they like jam that joystick and then when it gets to the gets to the point where they gotta you know, move the joystick in the reverse direction to keep up with the scrolling screen that they jam it in the other direction. I mean, people go hard on the joystick on Scramble in that last sequence. And sure enough, when I eventually did get to play the arcade version, which wasn't until about 2014, actually, I came upon the impossible part, and it was once again impossible. I tried over and over and over and over, and all that, uh, it was, I gave up. And uh, this was Underground Retrocade, by the way, when I first played it. My next trip to Underground Retrocade, I was like, okay, I'm going to get past the impossible part. I'm going to go through the first um, the whole first go around. And I did. And I was like, woohoo. And woo-hoo. and after, and then I, I don't think I've played it since because I was like, man, that's the best I'm ever going to do. That's enough. <laughs> you know, I have to say the very first place I ever saw and played Scramble was actually at Rosalie's Roller Skate in Crest Hill, ah, Illinois. Yes. never which, been there. And now I believe it's... I don't think, after Rosalie's closed, it was Skate West, but I don't think it's Skate West anymore. I think it's something else, but it's still a roller skating rink, but they got an arcade and laser tag in there apparently now, too. So they never expanded the building, so how did they do that? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I played it once, I'm like, because the game looked fun. And I played it, and I'm like, I died like really fast because you also got to watch your fuel gauge, and especially in that last sequence in the base, there is no additional fuel, so you've only got like three or four chances to destroy the base before you die. And I, I, I never really made it past the, the second, you know, the second yeah, that sequence. Too. And I'm like, I, then after that, I just did not play it for years. And then I finally played it again at uh, probably both at Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade, and I finally did uh, did fairly decently on it. And uh, I've been playing it off and on on Mame, and and I have to say, um, when I fire up Mame. It's like every other time I fire up Mame, I will play around a scramble. It's it's almost like my go-to game when I fire up Mame. That's rhyme in there. So this is a fun game. It's um, you know I think one of the problems I had with Scramble is before I played Scramble, I played Defender, and with Defender you can fly through the mountains. And I think that's a problem I had because you can't fly through the mountains and scramble. Ah, but are you flying through them or around them in Defender? Because it's only a 2D view. That is true. Ah, you that might not true. have that option. But, but due to perspective, though, yeah. you can't really tell. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, people commonly compare Scramble and Defender. I don't think it's a fair comparison. They're two completely no, they're not, different they're, they're not. They're, they're not the same. They're The only thing they have in common is you're flying a ship around a play field through mountains. That's about it. I mean, otherwise, the objects and control panels, dear Lord, the control panels are extremely different. Oh, big time. And Oh, big, like, big scramble time. Scramble control panels are actually easy, I'm to, on my way. I'm making easy it. to navigate. But I, I would like to proffer uh, this comparison, though. Hmm. Scramble is a horizontal, different perspective, Xevious. Think about it. Sort of. Because you have lasers and bombs. Oh, which, by the way, which, by the way, I was going to ta- mention this before we recorded. Another game that I played before, while I was waiting uh, waiting to start record, is um, I played Future Spy. Uh, oh, yes. Man, which I brought that up to you to play previously yes. because it was uh, based on the same 
hardware as Zaxxon yes. and Super Zaxxon. Have you played it yet? I did. I played it right after you recommended it, actually, and I found it to be a less in- extremely difficult Zaxxon. That's a game we need. We should talk about because that's a. I like that game. That's a fun game, and I would say that's almost a 3D version of this. And in fact, thinking of it, Future Spy. What was one of my things about Zaxxon? What would it be like if you had a bomb button? Future Spy answers that question. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, but but so, and Scramble, you have two different methods of firing. One of them's a bomb, and in, when I play both of those games, my fingers get confused as to which button is which every single time. And the other reason that I say that it's like Xevious, those metal thingies that you like to shoot that are that, yeah, those things, those are basically this an, analogous to the fireballs. Those be, yeah, those the same thing as the fireballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. The only real difference, thinking about it, is Xevious is you, you can go anywhere on the screen. Yeah. You can't crash into the sides of the screen. Now I do think there are some other games out there that do have. But do they predate Scramble? I don't think so. Because remember, Xevious came out after did it come after Scramble. I think it did. Hmm. That is an interesting question. But well, Scramble well, came out in 1981. When did uh, Xevious come so, out? So Xevious was after that. Xevious was out 82, 83. So Xevious did come out afterwards. But you do have a good point. There is really only one difference between the two games, and that's pers- well, two differences. One, perspective, and two, you can't crash into uh, mountains or whatever in Xevious. Other than that, they are pretty much the same, aren't they? I suppose so, Skippy. I will say this. Um, if, you, if you want a, what I consider an excellent game like Scramble, uh, except it's vertical like Xevious, with, with this one that you actually can crash into the walls on the sides, Caverns of Mars for the Atari 8-bit computers is one of my f- most favorite games of all time. It's basically scramble, scrolling horizontally, and um, mean vertically. there are some you're, I'm sorry, you're correct, vertically. Uh, there are a few parts in that game that do frustrate the hell out of me. Like there's this one where you if you're playing on a very difficult level selection, there's this one scene where like these, I don't know, pods come onto the screen in random places, and if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, well maybe not random, I think there is a pattern to them now that I think about it. Um, that will kill you, but um, that is a good scramble knockoff, and uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Fire up an emulator and play Caverns of Mars, which they also have uh, kind of a remake for the Atari 2600 called Conquest of Conquest Yes, of Conquest Mars? of Mars. It is very, yes, very Conquest good. Yes, Conquest of Mars. So uh, I've only played that a little bit, but uh, you can't go wrong with either of those games. If you're looking for your scramble fix on the Atari 2600, Conquest of Mars is your game. And stay away from Super Cobra on the 2600. That game is terrible. Really? That was, was that Parker Brothers? Yeah, that was Parker Brothers. And I don't think there's a... Mm, the Atari 8-bit version of Super Cobra is pretty good, if I remember correctly. But the... Uh, yeah. Um, in fact, there's a, an episode of the um, podcast Atari Visions where they compared the 2600 ColecoVision uh, in television. And I think Odyssey 2... Really? Was there an Odyssey 2? There might not have been. But they did the three main translations of uh, Super Cobra on the main system, so you might want to check that out. Even though we're not talking about Super Cobra, and no, Lord knows if we ever will, but that's just to, you know, to tide you over. I think we in, should, you know, if for no other reason, so I could play it. Because I've been meaning to play it for so long. Oh, there you go. Uh, you want to get frustrated real easily, apparently. So Hey, yeah, I played Zaxxon. So, uh, let's talk about scoring and scores. Now, 
there's different, you can get different scores for the uh, mystery base when you destroy it and scramble. Do you happen to have those points uh, in front of your face? Funny you should ask. No, I don't. Well, that was hilarious. Told you it was funny. <laughs> and no, I have no idea why I laughed like an old blues singer. I could laugh like Freddy Krueger if you want. No. Let's see. Orcade.com, another name we're familiar with, I would hope. Uh, John McAllister. They say he has the world record, which was performed December 12, 2010 at first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon. And um, John McAllister's score was 1,333,380. Yay! That is a good score. It's it's a little better than mine, so very yeah, I, I am kind quite of a bit uh, better. impressed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not very, very, very good at this game, so I couldn't tell you my score on it. And according to Twin Galaxies, um, Robert Mruzek, or Mruzek, Mruzek, I've never gotten a confirmation of that from uh, from Robert himself, but uh, they have him down as having scored 1,147,580, verified June 6, 2001. 2001st? Nice. 2001st? Hmm. 2001st. Ordinal years is what we're all about. Now... <laughs> Now, John and uh, and uh, Bobby, <laughs> step aside, bub. There's a new king in town, and his name is me, Tilted Mike. Uh-oh. John, on April 26, 2014, at the Underground Retrocade 121 West uh, Main Street in West uh, Dundee, Illinois, 36,320, beat that. Zingy. Oh, crap, they did beat that. Oh, but at least the Cubs oh, beat the, well. beat uh, Walgreens today, so yay. Oh, yeah, that's true. More than one person has uh, mentioned that particular item about the Washington Nationals. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you anything about my score on it, so there we go. And, Did you ever submit uh, one? We, uh, no, actually, oh, because well, I just... Oh, my God, no. I, I have a higher score in this than Pete Gores. He's another one of those Ooh. people who, like, you just don't score higher than... <laughs> ever so, so yay so with that why don't we uh why don't we rate this uh rate this sure summer? so what do you say well i talked about how i don't see myself ever getting farther than i've done to this point in scramble and usually i give up on games like that but you know what this one i can't because this game is frustrating as hell but at the same time it is fun as all hell too it really is. Yeah, it's got something that makes you keep coming back for more. And I am a sucker for this sort of a game. Because what it is, it's almost a logic puzzle in a way, because it's all about timing. In a way. you you got to figure out, okay, at what point do I have to start uh, moving my ship back? When do I have to start uh, going down, going up? You know, you, 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 there are certain points where you have to... I don't know. It's There's something about it I just can't quite say. I'm going to give Scramble four continues. And I'm going to... Type that into the spreadsheet. Ah, there we go. And I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give this a four. Its difficulty keeps it from being a five, in my opinion. But as I also said, too, though, I mean, I just, this is kind of almost one of my go-to games when I play MAME. And I couldn't tell you why. Uh, Actually, I probably could tell you why. And um, it has all something to do with uh, the theme of today's show. Oh, do Which, tell. Yes, and instead of you or me talking about the theme of today's show, we've actually got a special guest recorded something for us to talk about uh, the theme of today's show. Indeed. So, Hyde, why don't we roll that? 
Hi, this is Pac-Man Plus from the Atari Age Message Boards, and this week's theme is Arcade Games That Have Atari 7800 Homebrews Created by Myself, Bob DiCrescenzo, available from the Atari Age Store. Yes, the theme, Scramble and Frenzy, both have homebrew ports for the Atari 7800 programmed by one Pac-Man Plus, a.k.a. Bob DiCrescenzo. Crescenzo? Cres- he, he, said, he said it Crescenzo, and I always been saying Crescenzo, because I always thought that SC in Romance language derived words would be pronounced like SH, but no, he says De Crescenzo, so my apologies so, to, to uh, Bob. Get, get, the, get the hither, get the thither to the uh, Atari Age store and purchase copies of these. Um, and get a 7800, both of course. Extremely well one. done. I think Scramble on the 7800 might be a little bit easier than the arcade and uh, <laughs> might be and uh either that or i've just gotten good at it and um i pointed out something to sean because uh, about frenzy because we we both own both these games for the 7800 uh you won't scramble, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah, the day okay. that I got... In fact, he brought it over to my place, and I played it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in fact, I remember the day that I actually got Scramble for the 7800. It was that time we went to uh, No Limit Arcade in Algonquin. That day, it was in ah, my yes. mailbox. I now no longer have it. I now have the Bob DiCrescenzo Collection multi-cart. Well, there you go. Scramble on it. And I have to point... And I pointed out to, uh, to uh, Sean yesterday, when I was uh, doing some testing on... Uh, uh, playing these games on the 7800 for research purposes, that uh, Frenzy for the 7800, we both know, we've both brought it up that Frenzy for the 7800 also has Berserk built in, and both Frenzy and Berserk have the uh, have the voices and all of that fun stuff. But I was pointing out to Sean yesterday that Frenzy and Berserk, which are both on the same cartridge as I just said, um, have two player modes. They have the traditional arcade alternating, but they also have two-player at the same time competitive and cooperative modes, which I did not know, and you did not know. Oh well, no, because I don't. I'm I play it by myself. Yeah. So uh, when we go to the to the uh, video game summit, uh, we might have to uh, engage in some of these selections because I remember when we were talking about 7,800 games with Phil back in December, and most recently with uh, Tim and Andy on the Super Podcast Brothers. That uh, that was a feature that I would love to see on more 7800 games because it oh, adds yeah. such a new dimension to the games, and uh, it was nice to see Frenzy with these. And I just want to get a second player so I can try them out. I bet that would add a lot. And I'm wondering if you get bonus points for shooting the other player in the competitive mode. Yeah, <laughs> I have a couple of speaking of witches to uh, interject here. Uh, speaking of which, number one, we mentioned Phil, uh, the No Swear Gamer. I had meant to say this for a while. I've actually been holding off because I wanted to wait for him to make the announcement because, you know, I thought he deserves the honors. I'm very happy to say that Phil recently got his first world record on Twin Galaxies. Oh? Tax avoiders in the Atari 2600, which he submitted appropriately on April 15th. Yay! So, yeah, he got. I was, I was really happy to see his name attached to that. Uh, and also, speaking of Frenzy and uh, Berserk on the 7800, one thing that I got to interject, I mentioned this on the uh, show we did that was dedicated entirely to the 7800 with Phil, but uh, those of you who haven't heard it, uh, there is a major spoiler I have to announce. So if you don't want to hear the spoiler, like mute the podcast for about 10 seconds. 
when you turn on Frenzy slash Berserk for the 7800, it plays the music from the Vectrex cartridge. It is awesome. I almost passed out when I heard that. And uh, oh, and before I forget to mention, speaking of like two player modes, uh, while we are at Video Game Summit, we are thinking of perhaps doing a world record attempt on the Atari 7800 Space Duel and Asteroids Deluxe. And uh, if we do, we will Yay. definitely uh, stream that. Indeed, we will. I think with that, we're done for today, this episode, are we? I'm done. Are we not? I got, I, I'm I, done. I got no more use for this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with it. That's what I always do when I'm done using an episode. I kick it to the curb and, you know, just troll for the next episode that I can use for my evil purposes and kick that one to the curb as well. And speaking of the which, the next episode we're going to kick to the curb will be episode 34. And we are going to talk about the arcade game's Robbie Roto and Targ. <laughs> How's that for a couple of interesting game names? Robbie Roto and Targ. So we hope to hear you here. I did it again. So we hope you listen to us in two weeks or thereabouts yeah. when we release said episode. And again, we will, uh, well, at least we are planning to be at Pixel Blast in, uh, uh, was it Lombard? Lyle. Lyle. Jeez. All those western suburbs like Lyle, Lombard, Villa Park, they're all the same to me, so I don't know. Well, I always get Oak Brook, Oak Park, <laughs> Park Forest, Oak Park Forest, Park Forest, Oak, Oak, you know. There's so many suburbs of Chicago yeah, Oak Park borders that have the Chicago, words Oak, so that's how I keep it straight. Park, and Forest in them. It's, an, it's incredible. But anyway. So. But anyway, anyway uh, how about Sunny Side Up? Tilted Mike, uh, Pie Factory Headquarters North, uh, aka Sean, to some and people. And Jimmy G's Pie Factory Logistics Center, sweating his ass off, sweating his ass sauce, ass off, almost literally. I don't want to hear about your ass sauce. <laughs> There's a hot sauce called something like uh, it's called Kick Your Ass Sauce. Oh, That's I'm what sure, it is. I'm it's sure got of a it. picture of an ass with his ass on the front of the bottle. Yeah, two weeks. For Targ and Robbie Rota, we'll talk to you all. We will talk at you all then. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. I turned turned my camera off because I'm I'm mostly naked right now. Yeah! (laughs) All right, TMI there. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It reminds me of the um, Great White North album with uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie. No one can see us, eh? So, like, they don't even know if we're nude, eh? Get out. They do, too. No, they don't, eh? Me and right, my brother my are here, dude. Now, People, okay. I've been podcasting for over a year. Take my advice, those of you who were thinking of getting into podcasting. Wear clothes. Or don't have a camera. Wear clothes. Well, I'll just tell wear, you. Just wear clothes for crying out loud. I always wanted to hear Beavis and Butthead, you know, in Star Wars. Eh, the circle of complete. <laughs> Bunghole. <laughs> Hey, you know, you know, a girl like that, and a guy like me, you know, what do you think? Uh, what are you, stupid? Uh. <laughs> In fact, I had an idea for a podcast where I would just record, re-record the entire first Star Wars movie with characters from Beavis and Butthead. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I also wanted to actually 
I was also thought about you know the Three Stooges in Star Wars, uh, but uh, I can't remember what it is. I, I don't. I had that all worked out at one time for the the unlikely occasion I would ever get to a comedy club and on an open mic night, and I think there's probably good reason why I forgot that. So there we are. But. Um, and I have to say this, I was walking, when I was on my lunch break today, I was walking uh, down Illinois Street downtown and I crossed Wabash and the Wabash sign says honorary Trump Tower uh, Street or whatever they call it. It's like, really? In other words, somebody spent money. Honorary. Yeah, exactly. I will say this. I did like his TV show and he did make a nice skyscraper in the city. I will say that much. I have to admit that is a beautiful building. Now he could just run a casino. We'd be all set. But at any rate, I said I wasn't going to do politics anymore on this show. It is a nice looking tower, but the thing is, no matter what would have gone there, anything would have been an improvement over the old Sun-Times building. Man. Oh, that's where the Sun-Times building was. I yeah. guess, yeah, I, thought, I was thinking it was further down the river for some reason, but yeah, you're right. It would be. It is a vast it's improvement. It's the exact same spot. It's too bad they never built the Chicago Spire. No, it's not. I, I, I think it's a shame because now they got that huge hole in the ground right there that they don't know what to do with. I'd rather have the hole in the ground than that stupid spire that had no functionality other than the. Did you hear who bought screw. the? Who originally bought the uh, the penthouse for that building that's never going to get built? Uh, Bob Guccione. Ty. Really. The Beanie Baby guy. Yep. Huh. He bought, oh, the, right. he bought the penthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So. So anyway, every games. time you fight over Beanie Babies, you are helping a, a guy that's, I think, going to jail now uh, buy a penthouse. So. And every time you fight over Beanie Babies, you haven't gotten over the fact that it's not 1997 anymore and they're worth crap. Well, I would I would argue they were worth crap originally, too, but that's just me. Will you get me a, a cup of iced tea with a couple ice cubes, please? Please? I'll be very, very grateful. Don't use that. Uh, speaking of hiding that, hide uh, hide this dialogue. Hide, hides, hides. Yep. Man, it's a good thing he doesn't do that for a living, or else that'd be very confusing. Mm-hmm.